0: Welcome to Radio Curious, I'm Barry Vogel. Do people over a certain age necessarily lose their mental acuity? According to Dr. Gene Cohen, the answer is no. Dr. Cohen, a psychiatrist and gerontologist, has determined that certain genes are activated by experience as we age, allowing our personalities to grow and change. The brain has reserves of strength and agility that compensate for the effects of aging on its other parts. Dr. Cohen has found that the Information Processing Center in the 60-80 to year old brain achieves its greatest density and reach. He explains these and other developing concepts in brain research in his book, The Mature Mind, The Positive Power of the Aging Brain. I spoke with Dr. Cohen in March of 2006 from his office at the Center on Aging, Health and Humanities in Washington, D.C., where he is the director. We began our conversation with his description of the importance of the role of creativity.
1: Well, in my book, The Creative Age, I addressed this and looked at the a body of research in, in that area, what emerges is a lot of interesting mind-body findings that when you're involved in creative endeavors, the outcome is what they refer to as psychoneuroimmunologic reaction, where your immune system gets a bit of a boost uh, influenced by the mind.
0: Why is that?
1: Well, it, it's really part of the way the body is set up, where biopsychosocial creatures And what that indicates is that there are connections between our different uh, systems, and it's a very elaborate and successful system for promoting health. I I also just um, have completed a major study uh, supported by the National Endowment for the Arts looking at the impact of community-based art programs for older persons. So this is community-based creative Activities through the form of art.
0: Well, I would think that the operative word is creative activities, as opposed to art in terms of drawing or perhaps music.
1: Yes, creative activities is a, is a much more inclusive category, and one example is uh, getting involved with art. This particular study, which is called the Creativity and Aging Study looked at one form of creative expression, and that was involvement in different art forms. And the results were really quite remarkable. The average age in the study was 80, and this was both with the participants in the art programs and the control group. And what these people revealed, those who were involved in the art programs, was a stabilization and actually improvement in different areas of, of, of health, improvement in, on different mood scales, loneliness and morale, and an actual increase in activities during the course of the study, and as opposed to the control group that did less well in all those areas.
0: In a project that foments creativity, what is it that the active mind draws from that yields better health, physical as well as mental? Well,
1: one of the phenomena that's going on, and this was part of the theoretical background for the study that I just described, is a large body of research that's called sense of control that when you're in situations where you have a sense of control or mastery or competency, and particularly when this is new, this uh, mind-body reaction that I described uh, happens, this uh, triggering of a positive response in the immune system. And so this was part of the theoretical background study. And creative activities are activities that very strongly give you a new sense of mastery and accomplishment. And to the extent that you continue to be involved with them, then it's it's as if you get repeated booster shots in terms of their effect uh, in that mind-body
0: sense. The production of the creative activity draws on the memory, which is a collective consciousness and sometimes unconscious memory, as you describe in your book.
1: Well, another factor related to that is the challenge of activities like that. Often creative endeavors are very challenging. And the whole field of behavioral neuroscience uh, has developed around the discovery that when we challenge the mind, it has very positive effects on the brain. The latest finding in that regard is that mental challenge actually produces new brain cells. We used to be taught that we had all of our brain cells by three, and we now know that that's not true. It continues throughout the life cycle, and challenge is a key factor.
0: As long as people are alive, new brain cells are generating?
1: Yes, Yes, and and, and, and environmental challenge is is a key factor. And in addition to the positive impact of challenge on generating new cells, the existing cells also are very significantly affected. Uh, uh, Brain cells have the capacity to sprout new extensions. They're called dendrites. And a given brain cell can literally sprout hundreds or thousands of these branch-like extensions. It's really quite remarkable. And the biggest influence on sprouting new dendrites these new extensions is challenge and when you sprout new dendrites it creates new connections between different brain cells enhancing communication improving memory processing memory storage and the overall functioning of the uh, of the mind It's, it's a very powerful effect and this is what we can do ourselves
0: in your research, you indicate that people can self-actuate this, but do you find that there are some personality types where it's easier to do this?
1: Well, it's more of a of a factor of uh, uh, issues like motivation. All personality types show creative potential, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it's often different types of, uh, of, of creativity, but it's more, rather than hardware issues uh, like uh, uh, personality, more software-type issues, such as uh, uh, motivation, uh, sticking to it, perseverance, and these learn are factors behavior. that can be, be developed.
0: Learn behavior?
1: Yes, learn behavior.
0: Your hypothesis is that older adults can learn new patterns of behavior that they didn't necessarily have before.
1: Yes, not only that, but in my book, The Mature Mind, I describe new phases of psychological development. These new phases create new opportunities for discovering new aspects of yourself. They influence confidence levels in yourself. For example, one of the phases that I describe is the liberation phase. And this begins to kick in around the mid-50s, strong mid-late 50s, throughout the 60s, early to mid-70s. And it's as if you have these metaphorical, friendly inner voices saying to you, if not now, when? Why not? What can they do to me? And these are powerful, liberating feelings that, that are part of a psychological change that's going on during that uh, stage of life where you have a new sense of confidence and comfort level with trying something, this new inner sense of freedom to experiment in new directions. And that's why I refer to this as the liberation phase. And it influences many late bloomers. You know, the field of folk art is dominated, by older persons, and uh, many of these people only first became serious about their folk art in, in later life, and I feel this is related to the liberation phase.
0: Why do you feel that the liberation phase comes about in the later years?
1: Well, throughout life, I mean, it is part of the human condition that we want to try things and we want to experiment, but at different times of, of, uh, of, of life, it appears in different ways. There's a lot of experimentation during adolescence, and in many ways, the liberation phase is related to that, but with a big difference. And the liberation phase, uh, because of the process of aging, you've developed a much better sense of who you are, a confidence level, a comfort level in, in yourself. And so this affects decisions that you make, uh, actions that you, that you choose to take. And so there's a lot more judgment and perspective on trying something new in the liberation phase. I feel this is all related to the broader issue of creativity which I see is built into the species and what I describe as related to this is what I call the inner push. This is the push that makes us want to climb mountains. It, it makes a toddler look at a staircase as if it's a mountain and despite falling many 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 times they want to climb it. And then inner push operates throughout the life cycle but as we continue to grow, and since we now know that all experience alters the brain, the brain is constantly changing. And so I feel that over time the changing of the brain itself in terms of its, uh, uh, its structure in combination with accumulating life experience alters the way that the inner push shows itself. And so that's why the four psychological growth phases I described in the later life I feel are, are different manifestations of the inner push influenced by the process of aging in a psychosocial sense, but also in a neurobiological sense through the cha- ongoing changes in the brain.
0: In this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with Dr. Eugene Cohen from his office in Washington, D.C. Dr. Cohen is the author of The Mature Mind, The Positive Power of the Aging Brain. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Dr. Cohen, you say that this is built into the species, yet if we go back in the history of our species a short time, perhaps 5,000 years, people didn't live as long then as they do now. Is this a consistent unintended consequence, or does it indicate something else that's built into our species from an evolutionary sense?
1: Well, there are very new views in terms of the benefit of aging in an evolutionary sense, a survival benefit. Traditionally, for so long, survival was only viewed in terms of reproductive capacity, that once you lost your capacity to, to reproduce, your, your impact on survival of the species greatly diminished. But a whole new body of research has emerged, both uh, socially and biologically, to look at the view of aging in a survival context. First of all, the older members of the species over the history of civilization and even before civilization were reservoirs of information that helped people better negotiate their environment. New studies on different groups of dolphins and whales show the grandparents, uh, female grandparents, breastfeeding the grandchildren as, as the, uh, the adult uh, parents are, are operating in terms of uh, broader food-gathering uh, protection uh, of the, um, uh, their, their, their family. And so this is a uh, quite interesting biological example of older members of the species continuing to the survival of the species.
0: Yeah, You're talking about brain changes in people uh, beginning around age 60, more or less. But 5,000 years ago, 40 was considered to be very old. Did these brain changes occur then at an earlier age?
1: Uh, uh, probably to the, to the extent that you're talking about um, Homo sapiens. You know, in even very recently, uh, life expectancy was much lower than it was. In the United States, in the year 1900, life expectancy was under 50 years. Uh, but that didn't mean there weren't older people. There, there were always people who lived to a more advanced age, but just average longevity was diminished. And then there was the great surge in average longevity called life expectancy in the 20th century, where it went from under 50 to greater than 75 years. But brain changes are occurring all the time. And basically, the the latest findings from neuroscience show that whenever you challenge your brain, any experience alters the brain. Any challenge or experience is altering the the production of new dendrites, the uh, branch-like extensions from brain cells, and they're forming new synapses, which are the contact points between cells. And this happens throughout uh, all of development. Early on, people thought that that major process of dendritic sprouting and the formation of new synapses in particular was just the product of early built-in development. But now we realize that learning and uh, challenge... Uh, has the same impact on the nervous system in terms of sprouting of new dendrites and formation of new synapses between cells uh, that built-in developmental uh, forces have.
0: How were those realizations brought to the forefront? How did they become understood?
1: They were initially discovered in uh, animal studies that began in the mid-'60s. And the way these studies were designed is you would have two groups of uh, laboratory rats, one in a typical environment and the other in a more challenged environment, and after a period of time went by, the brains of the rats were compared, and uh, the challenged rats showed a significant increase in the production of new dendrites, uh, new synapse formation, to production of cells called glial cells. These are cells that nourish uh, neurons or brain cells. Einstein, Einstein's brain, uh, on autopsy showed a greater than average number of glial cells. The challenged animals had an increased number of glial cells. And then when they continued these studies to focus on the older animals, they found regardless of age, all of these what are referred to as brain plasticity changes, continued independent of age. And this began a profound revolution in our understanding of the neuroscience of aging. At one level, it validated folk advice, which was use it or lose it, but modern neuroscience took folk advice a step further and showed that Uh, there's no age limit to um, using it to alter losing it.
0: In your studies, have you found that there are any particular times when a person is more um, likely to benefit from learning than at other times?
1: I find that the desire to learn really continues through the life cycle. And I just completed a uh, retirement study that I began in 2000, and these were people between 60 and over 90 years of age. Virtually every person in the study wanted to continue learning, take courses of uh, uh, different times. And this is, of course, one of the reasons that Elder Hostel, uh, as an educational program for older adults, has just boomed. And and this this desire to learn is just uh, uh, very, very strong, and it continues uh, it continues throughout the life cycle
0: Dr Gene Cohen author of The Mature Mind what happened in your life in your younger years that led you down this path of study
1: Well it's a little hard to say uh, um all the way back into high school I was interested in issues of aging the, the aging has two parts to it there's the older person part the elderly and there 's also the process of aging itself, which starts right from the beginning of uh, from birth or even uh, you know prior to uh, to birth and When I was in high school, I actually won uh, first place in the Massachusetts MIT State Science Fair with a project on aging. It was uh, a study of age uh, growth in in fish and uh, uh, and then, after I completed my medical training and training in psychiatry, I had the good fortune of being at the uh, the National Institute of Mental Health, and, uh, and there, based on work that I had actually started during my residency in psychiatry and working with older people, I was asked to head the first Center on uh, Mental Health and Aging that was set up at the Institute in
0: 1975. With the information that you've gathered, where do we go from here? How do we start this instruction that you feel is important with younger people so that by the time they're seniors, they're able to employ it more quickly?
1: A number of parts to that question. Let me just mention a couple. In the broad view, there's a major conceptual change going on in how we're looking at aging. And and in the past uh, 30 years, there have been two major sea changes in thinking. One was happening in the mid-70s when the program, for example, that I mentioned that I was asked to head um, uh, took place. And in the mid-'70s, for the first time, people were developing hypotheses for problems associated with aging. And so rather than seeing negative changes with aging as being inevitable in our destiny, the question increasingly rose that maybe a lot of these changes aren't aging per se, but problems associated with aging. And this launched the field of geriatrics, which soared. During the 1980s, now I feel we're at the second major turning point, and that is looking beyond problems to potential. For the first time, we're looking at what's possible with aging. And unless you have an added focus on potential, possibility, you deprive yourself of a true opportunity for health promotion and prevention. And this is the big change
0: that's happening now. What is possible with aging?
1: Anything. Anything. It's never too late to change. It's never too late to accomplish something. uh, There are many people who have illustrated this. The Delaney sisters, these uh, two uh, charming African-American sisters who described their relationship as probably having been the longest that anybody had. Uh, um, uh, Sarah um, Delaney was 105 when she collaborated with her sister, Bessie Delaney, who was 103, to write an autobiography. And uh, it was called the Delaney Sisters: The First Hundred Years, and it became uh, uh, a New York Times bestseller, and and then it became a, a Broadway uh, show, and and so it just was an incredible celebration of possibility of life with great longevity. George Abbott, impressive enough that he wrote Damn Yankees when he was sixty-eight, but he revised it when he was uh, one hundred and seven.
0: Within the physiology of the brain, you talk about the uh, limbic system and how it's related to the cortex and the effect and origins of positive and negative emotions. Yes. Can you describe how that fits the greater study that we're talking about?
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating finding. One of the brain structures within the limbic system is called the amygdala, and it's the part of the brain that processes emotions. And what has been found recently in brain imaging studies with the amygdala, and the way these are set up in terms of studying emotions, you have a group of young adults and a group of older adults, and uh, you expose them to different emotions. And in this particular study I'm gonna describe, they were exposed to positive emotions and negative emotions, positive emotions such as love, joy, happiness, negative emotions such as uh, fear, Um, uh, uh, anger, envy, and in response to positive emotions, the young adults and the older adults alike lit up the amygdala with the same intensity, and that intensity persisted for essentially the same length of time. But with negative emotions, in the older adults, the amygdala lit up less intensely and dissipated faster. So it really reflects an extraordinary brain change, which I feel is, is a protective, adaptive change that enables a lot of people to handle better the increased adversity that they experience with uh, uh, with aging. And I feel it helps explain the many morale studies which have been done comparing older adults and younger adults. And older adults, despite extensive frailty or challenge or problems they've had, score just as well and often higher on morale uh, Uh, assessments than do younger adults. This has typically been explained psychosocially as a factor of throughout life you develop a perspective and you adapt to different situations, but these new findings show that in addition to that there's this powerful neurobiological uh, effect of the amygdala starting to screen out more uh, negative emotions rather than positive ones.
0: Yet there may be some people who have such overwhelming negative emotions that they don't live to old age, so they cannot be included in the study.
1: Sure. There are always uh, people that would sort of fit into uh, that category. But in these controlled studies where you you take large groups of people and you compare the old uh, to the young in a controlled sense, uh, these studies have consistently revealed that a growing number of these studies have been done and they have been repeated in a, a number of, of different forms. It's an increasingly accepted and fascinating fascinating finding and one of a large number of ways that the brain adapts uh, with, uh, uh, with, with aging, just uh, an extraordinary um, uh, change.
0: In preparing for retirement, you talk about the importance of physical health, active mental health, active social health. How do you see the future, particularly for the baby boomers?
1: Well, fortunately, the baby boomers are used to getting their way. And the baby boomers, I feel, are unique in history in a way that really hasn't been discussed. Baby boomers are the first major group historically that has grown up with a lot of positive images of aging. Many of their parents are accomplishing things at remarkable levels. And so the boomers are the first group that have had parents aging long and well. And so they've seen for the first time of any group what's possible with aging. And that has been telling them what's possible with their own aging. And as they see what can be, they start to think this is what should be. This is what should be for me. And so I feel that this new understanding and these new expectations are going to have a very significant effect on social policy.
0: Your point, what they see uh, can be, and that should be for them, that goes to the fundamentals, it seems, of learning and memory and application to oneself.
1: Right. Very much very much so. And in and, and the whole area of aging, uh, the, uh, the stereotypes, negative stereotypes and myths are falling by the wayside because... People are for the first time seeing what's truly possible, and um, uh, and it's very different from the story that people have been brought up with. If you have a negative view of aging, you deny it. You don't prepare for it. You don't have a sense of confidence that if you do something, you'll have positive results. And so it interferes with individual motivation. It interferes with the motivation of significant others around us who, who, if they had expectations in this area that were positive, they would nudge us the same way parents nudge children when they see possibilities that the children don't see. Uh, if uh, communities had a better sense as to what was possible, this would affect more creative program planning uh, for older members and their families, and similarly with policymakers, if they had a better vision in terms of what was possible, the new true picture of uh, aging. Uh, it would influence more enlightened social policy. We're just starting to move in that direction because this whole focus on potential is very new.
0: Dr. Gene Cohen, author of The Mature Mind, The Positive Power of the Aging Brain. Thanks for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately?
1: I read uh, a book that many have read, Tuesdays with Mari, It's a a wonderful, inspirational book. One thing, though, that it doesn't have is a life cycle perspective to show what the impact of different conditions are at different stages of of life. Uh, And this is what makes, to me, the study of aging and looking at different periods of psychological growth and experience so important, is to see how the same events are experienced at different points in the life cycle.
0: Dr. Gene Cohen, thanks for being with us on Radio Curious. My pleasure. Dr. Gene Cohen is the author of The Mature Mind, The Positive Power of the Aging Brain. He is also the director of the Center on Aging Health and Humanities in Washington, D.C. The book he recommends is Tuesdays with Maury, an Old Man, a Young Man, and Life's Greatest Lesson by Mitch Alborn. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org. And I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707 6215075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.